This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by Man in the Mirror with Brett Klemmer and his team. Here's audio content from Man in the Mirror and their track called No Man Left Behind. Well, it's great to see everybody today. My name is uh, Jeff Kasaya. I met about half of you yesterday, and some of you are new to us. And uh, as you see, we're chronicling how many states are represented that attend our sessions. So we can uh, prayerfully commit you guys, as well as my primary role is overseeing our field staff at Man in the Mirror. And so I'd like for you to uh, be aware of who those folks are. In fact, I've got one with me today, Clark Miller from Dayton, Ohio. We met the InterVarsity coordinator from uh, uh, actually, he's in Tip City, just north of Dayton. We met the university coordinator from Dayton yesterday. That was good kingdom networking. So we're always looking to do that and to be able to pray for you guys and to uh, see where we can go beyond this because this is a, a one opportunity to uh, cross paths and have some interaction. We're looking for a long-term relationship, as you so desire. So uh, great to see you today. Why don't we stand and have a word of prayer, and I'm going to get started with our session today. Clark, why don't you lead us this morning? Well, it's an honor to have you in our workshop today. Uh, again, a few of you were with us yesterday as we started this whole process. We gave you an overview of our model for discipleship for men uh, called No Man Left Behind. And I uh, pulled up our website here today to kind of give you a feel for exploring further. Uh, we talked about this uh, uh, concept as provided in a full-length conference um, Clark was in Akron, Ohio uh, recently where this was being presented. And so we're just giving you some of the highlights of that conference. Uh, yesterday was an overview, and today is more of a drill down on three of the key concepts that resonate with most people around the country. Our ministry, for those of you unfamiliar with us, is 30 years in existence. Uh, Pat Morley, our founder, a lot of folks uh, know of him because of this classic book, The Man in the Mirror. The 24 problems that men face. Uh, women, I typically hear from wives, 24, that's all. <laughs> and uh, they're broken down into six categories. So uh, this is a great reference guide. What I like about this, and uh, it's very beneficial, chapter 18 is on anger management. A lot of guys struggle with anger. That's one of the six categories. We've got identity problems, relationship problems, time problems, and then temperament problems, anger is one of those that Pat addresses in the book. So when I've led this over the years as a men's pastor, uh, more guys would come out of the woodwork the night we studied chapter 18. We always had a drop-in format. You and I were talking about this morning, you know, how to ignite a fire. And so what, what I like about this book is you give it to an individual, and he can start with chapter 18 if that's his at-risk area. Then he can go back and fill in the blanks of 1 to 17. You don't have to read 1 to 17 to read 18. So that's why I call it a reference book. And so these problems uh, are discussed. Uh, ladies, there is a free ebook on our website called Understanding Your Man in the Mirror. And as far as women's ministry, that's the most untapped resource that's out there. It is God's job to change your husband. It's our job as his wife to understand him more. And so he talks about the 15 issues of understanding your man in the mirror. So that's great for women's uh, studies as well. It's a companion book. In fact, after my wife and I led a co-ed group uh, through that understanding your man in the mirror, I found that really these should be studied simultaneously. So if there's a men's group studying this, 
and a women's group uh, studying Understanding Your Man in the Mirror, they can come back together and have some joint sessions. Very beneficial time. So, again, a lot of folks know about the book, which you now have a copy of, and uh, not very many people know there's a ministry that's existed for many years. And so over our 30 years, we've observed churches, over 30,000 across America, and we look for some key principles that made them very effective. You're here this week, no doubt, to become more effective in disciple-making. As we all are, we can learn from each other. We want this to be interactive today, uh, so I'll ask you some questions as we work our way through, and if you have some at the end, we'll save about a 20-minute segment to go back and, and debrief on matters. But you're here to become more effective, and then hopefully most effective. And so uh, I love the passage out of Proverbs 1.5. It says, Teach a wise person, and they will increase in learning. So as far as the male gender is concerned, I tell guys on the journey to biblical manhood, that's where it starts, is Proverbs 1.5. There's a humble spirit and there's a teachable spirit. Guys struggle in that humility aspect because pride is one of our temperament problems that Pat writes about. So God is looking for a humble spirit. He's also looking for that teachable spirit. Okay? And so uh, when I would come to sessions like this, okay, uh, God has called us, God has commissioned us, God has challenged us in some areas, but who can refine my thinking? That's already happened for me is listening to some of the speakers. You're going to hear about strategy from us today. We're big-time strategists. But we also believe the old hymn writer who says it best, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. I like the quote yesterday. We can't over-strategize this and underutilize spirit-led development. And so make sure as you hear our strategy today, that's our overarching purpose as well, okay? Uh, we want to help you with one of the most difficult uh, things to do, and that's to be involved in men's discipleship. It takes a long time to make a male disciple. God has wired you ladies to be much more relationally driven. Therefore, it's easier to get in clusters. It's easier to make networking. That doesn't mean it's going to be impossible, but it's, it's much easier for your gender with your wiring mechanism, and that's what we applaud about you. As for, as for guys, they tend to live on islands to themselves. And so we're going to talk about three foundations to this no-man-left-behind model and give you a chance to experience this. And so before we get into our handout today, I want to play you this little short excerpt from our website, maninthemirror.org. Lots of free articles and resources here. And if you go to Services tab, you'll see the no-man-left-behind link. And if our uh, Wi-Fi connection will work, we'll watch this video. So they introduce you to some of our leaders in our ministry, uh, the guys who wrote the books, and then uh, also gives us a segue into what we're going to talk about today. So this No Man Left Behind model, uh, those of you who here yesterday, we did a full overview of that, giving you an opportunity to see exactly what's transpiring in our desire to see every man fully disciple. And it's based on a conveyor belt. We have some extra copies of that. In fact, those of you who weren't here yesterday, let's go and give you a copy of those conveyor belt handouts, Paul, and that way you can see a reference. Because we're going to talk about the lowest three sections of this model that are the foundations that we're going to be building upon this process. We talked about process, content, and relationships on yesterday, and we filled out some of the various aspects of the model. So let's do a drill down today on these uh, foundational aspects. On the top of page two of your handout, uh, by the way, on page one, I would encourage you to go back. You're going to hear about leadership teams later today and to talk about some of your biggest obstacles. In fact, if we have time at the end, I'd love to maybe go back and reference that and to see what some of your challenges are so we can help identify them and, and give you a purpose to uh, go forward with that process. But anyway, on page two of the handout, we want to talk about this first aspect. There's three levels that are the foundation of this conveyor belt, this model 
that gives us this process. And let's talk about, first of all, the portal priority, the organizing principle that carries us forward in this regard. Let's read uh, 2 Timothy 3, 15 and, uh, through 17. It's listed on your handout. Let's just read that in unison together. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, we've got some tremendous kingdom partners here for a couple of days. They all have some great definitions of discipleship. We draw ours from this particular passage of Scripture. And we would submit to you, and this is not just men, this will be both genders. A disciple of Jesus Christ is, first of all, called to live in Christ. Secondly, equipped to live like Christ. And then thirdly, sent to live for Christ. So in short form, called, equipped, and sent. Now those of you who were with us yesterday, we talked about these five types of men. So the guy over here on the wide end of the continuum needs to be called uh, to live in Christ, as Ephesians declares. Over 18 times it talks about what it means to be in Christ. So that's where the calling is going to take place. Then, as the progress takes place, then equipping is going to occur at various stages. And so we break down, uh, specifically men, where they are in the stage of their spiritual journey. And we identified some of those characteristics along the way. And then eventually, when they get down to this category four to be a servant leader, where their life focus is on God and then others, they're being sent. Now, these guys can be sent in process. You don't have to be fully developed. Hey, we're all maturing. Uh, I was reading an article recently from a pastor uh, out in the Midwest that I had stopped and had a consultation with in my travels to 40 states. We've sat down over 600 times with uh, churches. And one of my favorite pastors on the uh, tour across America, he had written this article. He says he was really challenging spiritual maturity. That's a term that a lot of us have used pretty frequently. And he said it should be maturing, which means it continues on forward. So if you were here yesterday, even when you get to the servant leader category or stage in life, there still should be a humble spirit and a teachable spirit. Hey, there's so much more of God I want to know than to be made known. So you see that humble and teachable spirit follows us throughout the process. In fact, I like to use a digital readout. Since we're in the digital age, we've got some uh, younger folks here with us today. And so you got a 2.3 and a 3.7, you know. But when we get to this fourth level, it doesn't stop there. It's almost like an algebraic number line. You know, it extends on out into eternity. So let's continue to know God and to make him known, even when we're being sent out as you are today. I'll just uh, share with you personally, uh, I love to... Uh, uh, trade baseball cards, uh, ideas of people, and sometimes I'll ask people, so what's the most impactful book you've read recently outside of the scriptures? And uh, mine has been John Ortberg's book on soul keeping. Because in men's discipleship, we did a lot of promise keeping over the last uh, couple of decades. And all those things are part of the spiritual journey. But a lot of times our soul can get dry. And so soul keeping is crucial for us as leaders. And so that's crucial. So that equipping process continues, and even in being sent out, we want to reflect that teachable and that humble spirit. Let's read also Mark 12, 29 to 31 uh, together in unison. The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, 
with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So, we talk about the Great Commission. We talk about the Great Commandment. All of those are involved in this whole portal priority as we try to determine what discipleship can and should look like and the progress that takes place in the life of an individual. And then here's the big idea from this first foundation. Discipleship is not about behavior modification. It is about heart transformation. There are a lot of writings out there specifically towards biblical manhood that talk about, hey, let's get your act together. You know, let's become a really good guy and God will be pleased with you. That, that's behavior modification. No, no, the scripture talks about guard your heart for out of it are the issues of life, Proverbs 4.23. So we've got to approach this from a heart transformation. And I would assume that all of you have that same philosophy or you would not have come to a meeting like this. So many people espouse that. You get that. You understand that. A lot of folks that call discipleship, it's really behavior modification that's taking place. So that's going to be crucial. And there's more that could be said. Uh, about that particular aspect. Let's just kind of give you one example on page 3. We mentioned this yesterday. This is called the uh, uh, undifferentiated blob, these next two sheets that show you what can typically happen when people try to target one specific area. So on page 3, let's say a congregation is involved in preaching, teaching. Uh, they're going to hold some seminars. Uh, small groups are going to run a six-weeks focus. They're going to pass out literature. And the whole goal is to bring the church together for a stewardship banquet. Okay, A lot of churches in the South do that. I'm a, I'm a son of the South. So we're, we're known for those stewardship campaigns, those stewardship banquets. And basically, you know, those are good intentions to uh, preach, teach, uh, incorporate these ideas. But when they bring the folks together, what ends up happening, you've created a donor, not a disciple. And so, oh, the, the, the red thermometer, you know, may be at the uh, goal mark. But what have we really accomplished over time? People have contributed funds, but God hasn't really changed their heart fully. You see the difference? And so are we uh, creating donors or are we creating disciples? And stewardship is just one example. Then on the uh, next page shows us what should take place. If we're preaching to the heart, if we're teaching to the heart, if we're mentoring, if we're conducting seminars on heart transformation, small groups are designed uh, to allow people to guard their heart. Uh, there's literature being distributed uh, that we would have. And there's tons of it out there that we have access to. Then if a person's heart is being transformed, then what's going to happen? They're going to freely be willing to make contributions. And you could apply this to every realm of Christendom. Okay? It's not just stewardship. That's just one example we'll take. And so it's crucial for us to see that portal priority has got to be discipleship. And when that is the uh, organizing principle around everything that we do, then you'll see those kind of desired outcomes. Okay? And you won't just get donors. You'll get some disciples. Because disciples become worshipers. Disciples become uh, contributors. Disciples become servants of God in all capacities. And so that's the key issue is to see God transform their heart. And that's a, a, an aspect we'll uh, be remindful of. Let's move to the next foundation, and that's environment. Just kind of giving you a few key concepts for each of these uh, aspects today. So discipleship is a portal priority. Again, for you being at a conference like this, uh, most people are already there. So we're probably speaking to the choir. But some of the folks that were here yesterday that arrived early this morning, I said, what were some of your takeaways yesterday? And they talked about the man code. They had not thought, uh, thought that through, looked through that lens of the appeal factor in that regard. So I've given you an audit on page 5 that we give to churches uh, across America. 
And at the top, the environment is the impression your church gives to men. And your church is going to say this, men are blank here. And I gave an example yesterday of a recent church that I'd attended. I was going to be speaking at a men's rally, and my travel schedule uh, took me through their city of Columbia, South Carolina, and I was going to be coming back the following weekend to lead this kickoff. So I just dropped in unexpected, unannounced. I didn't advertise my attendance. You know, they had a video play in promoting the rally and stuff. But I just went in and sat down uh, in the church incognito as a spiritually disconnected man. I'm personally called to reach the guys over here on this end of this discipleship continuum. So I like to go visit a church and get my R&D from that vantage point. Sixteen men walked by me from 9.30 to 9.45, and not one of them stopped by to offer a greeting. Now, in the South, you would typically expect that. I know in other regions of the country, they may not be uh, as accessible. Uh, there's Southern hospitality, but there should be Christian hospitality. And so when I can talk to that leadership team, I said, hey, guys, if I would have walked into your congregation, there were a lot of things that were appealing to me. But one would not be I, I can belong before I believe. I, I was not accepted by you guys. So I would not be motivated. You did a super job with your video promoting that gathering. And uh, 75 of your regular guys attended that function. But I, I would not have been uh, motivated to, to come back. I would have listened to the pastor on a podcast. I really enjoyed his teaching. He had great man code delivery. And uh, there were other things about the, uh, the church that was very, very impressive. But the guys themselves, you know, kind of came across like a little bit of a country club. I didn't, I didn't sense arrogance. I just sensed distance. And so we've got to realize while there are greeters on our campuses that are officially serving in that capacity, I typically would go on a side door. I, I don't go through the, the main uh, entrance. You know, I'm expecting for a greeter to welcome me. But I want to go in some side entrance, just kind of see what the average guy so we can teach and train our fellows, you know, to have a chance to be winsome and to have an opportunity to do that. And uh, that's, that's a crucial aspect. So how would your church define that term? Men are blank here. How, how would you fill in the blank? The uh, areas that we typically talk about to evaluate the environment would be setting and decor. What, that looks, what, what do I find in the men's restroom? A lot of times they're pretty blank and generic, and uh, there's not much of an appeal factor there. When we go out to some of the, uh, you go to some of the restaurants and there's uh, advertisements and things there for guys, you know, that are there. Hey, we should take advantage of that. That's a, that's a designated space. Make them aware of that. I was uh, with a church in uh, the state of Washington a couple of years ago, and they had a very generic men's room. And I said, guys, we need to up the man code. This will be a way to address the guys. When I went back the next year, they had uh, some snowshoes on one wall. They had a slot car track on another wall. They had a couple mounted trophies, you know, animals that were there. And then they had a, uh, uh, some golf clubs mounted on the wall. When you went by the hand dryer, there was a notice that says, men are welcome here. Meet us at the foyer out in the main lobby. Get more information. We'd love to join, have you join our men's group and uh, various events that are planned for the fall. So right there, I'm drying my hands. They are sending me a message that men are welcomed here, that we're going to be intentional in reaching our men. So even something little like that is crucial. And uh, we actually did a, uh, a teaching uh, about men being drawn to the fire. So like a one in the restroom, actually uh, did a mural of a fireplace. You know, so you walked in, you could almost hear the wood crackling. And it created a lot of ambiance, you know, like you were, of course, there in that big outdoors area. So that was really relevant to them. So just in that one little way, you said they upped their game in, in their decor. Uh, how do things, uh, you know, look on your uh, welcome center? Again, again, we're in the digital age. A lot of things are online. So people are going to investigate your web page. 
when I do that with churches, by the way, uh, for R&D purposes, I typically find uh, under construction, which means we don't have anything going on here. <laughs> or uh, I, I was with a church a couple years ago, and they had like a, a 16-month-old video sitting there from a guy that had spoken in 2014, you know, that, that doesn't look impressive. Well, what's been happening since then? You know, you guys are sitting there twiddling your thumbs. So you got to have a presence. I was in Maine last week, and uh, this was typically what I run across when you walk into the foyer of the church. There was a, a nice little area there welcoming people, and they had these ministry cards. We have some ladies in the audience today, so I hope you'll, you'll hear me out as far as we believe in an all-inclusive strategy. But this is typically what you find. There were three promotions. What are they? Women's ministry student ministry, and children's ministry. Now, what does that tell me if I'm walking in there looking for a place to call home? Does it say men are welcome here? So uh, we want to see all these three areas enhanced, by the way, and you'll hear more about that in the next session if you choose to attend that. So for you ladies that are with us, we want to strengthen the women's ministry. One of the first conversations we're going to have is with the women's ministry coordinator to say, how many wives attend whose husbands are spiritually disconnected? They're going to go on our team roster. We're going to reach out to those guys. We're going, to, we're going to join forces. Hey, when you have your Christmas dinner, we want to come and help assist that. Can the guys come and serve? What can we do? Vacation Bible school. We're going to come dive in there and make that part of our ministry to men versus men's ministry. So the next session we'll have on the uh, all-inclusive mindset, we'll demonstrate that. However, in the average church, men don't even rank fourth. They're about eighth on the list. There's usually two or three things going on for each of these three subgroups. So a lack of intentionality is a big issue. So what is putting, uh, being put out there publicly uh, to make people aware of what's taking place? What about your leadership? How, do, how appealing are they to men? And are they uh, involved at a level that guys could resonate with? Humor is big to guys, you know? So, so the use of humor. Uh, I, I'm, a so, I'm a really focused guy, so I, I'm not really known for a lot of humor. But I believe in it. I didn't need people to accent it. I have a uh, Southern Belle uh, life of the party. She brings a lot of uh, – uh, she takes air out of my balloon. So she's a good compliment to us in a co-ed situation. But when I'm with somebody, uh, I want to have, have a guy that's got some humor with him to kind of balance that whole situation out because guys respond. It kind of takes air out of their balloons too. You know, they're up under a lot of stress, and so it's a, a good relief in that regard. Uh, what's the quality of the music? Again, the church that I attended where 16 guys walked past me, uh, the worship band did a fantastic job. You know, I felt God's presence. So, again, even in a role-playing episode to the life of a spiritually disconnected man, you know, I was drawn to the, the church at large, but I just wasn't drawn to the men specifically. They need to be coached up in how to just reach out naturally. You know, not over the top. We're not going to have 16 guys all huddled around me. Hey, man, we got to have you come next Saturday. I'm not talking about that kind of experience. But for someone, just have a brief conversation about that. Uh, opportunities for men. Now, again, what was interesting was this church came all the way to Charlotte and shot a video of me promoting this rally at the Charlotte Motor Speedway because we talked to the leadership team and they wanted to address the man code. So they went out of their way <laughs> an hour and a half to come shoot a video. And so I'm sitting there in the audience being the spiritually disconnected guy and here's this video that pops up, you know. And uh, so they did a fantastic job, but men will respond to a personal invitation, okay? That's what people are looking for. And so we've got to teach our guys to do that. Again, your online presence. You know, are there some social media outlets that you guys have? Uh, what's taking place to help communicate that across the board? Some of the churches are still mired in the 20th century. They're still using 20th century uh, methodology for communicating. And we've got to move beyond that to take advantage of that process. And there's other ways to be involved as well. 
So that's the second foundation is what is the environment that you're inviting men into. That's a crucial aspect uh, to see take place. Okay, great question. Great question. So at Man in the Mirror, everything we provide is a template. Okay? We want to respect your denominational distinctives. We want to respect your church culture. So in specific areas this, you know, the average church today is uh, uh, at least having a contemporary service, if not all the worship settings are like that. Some, How many of you have a blended worship? You still have that. Okay, good. And if you have, uh, I, I saw a new name for this. They don't use the term traditional anymore. I saw a church call it the classic service. How many of you have a traditional or classic service? Okay. So uh, you may be that entirety, or you may have a, you know, a, a, a several different, if you've got multiple services, a lot of times uh, that takes place. So I want to see the man code based upon what's taking place. I was in a church on Father's Day speaking that had three different services, a classic, a blended, and a contemporary. Okay? In the classic service, they had an all-men's choir on Father's Day. That was good man code for that traditional or classic gathering. Okay, 60 voices, all males, and uh, just, you know, thundering out uh, praises of God. I, I was very inspired by that. It had been a while since I heard an all-men's choir. So that would be an example of a good man code on Father's Day. Uh, whether it be the blended or the contemporary, again, a mixture. You know, sometimes it's 70, 30 female voices and participants to males. So what does that look like across the board, a good, nice blend? There's only one male drummer and all female voices, that would be a lessening of a man code. Now, maybe the guys are gone that weekend when I visit, but on a typical fashion. So we're looking at participation. We're looking at style. We're looking at something that resonates, again, where the guy's coming from. And uh, part of it has to do with your geography as well. If a traditional church sets up shop in a very fast-paced contemporary culture, a lot of times that won't make an appeal to people. My definition of worship is to encounter his presence, and we can do that in a variety of means. I uh, awaken in the morning listening to instrumental music. That's just my, you know, uh, genre. Then throughout the day, you know, give me some good Phillips Craig and Ding or whatever, and we'll continue on. So the, 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 the part of the day works in my situation. So that is such a lightning rod to choose, you know, who, who would we be to say this is what should be on your worship set? But I would evaluate based upon the people who are here. What is your target audience? How is that guy going to be responding? And uh, that will be a crucial aspect uh, as you advance. So uh, a great question, but it's, it's hard to give you principles other than those uh, generic aspects. And we would say, you know, choose wisely and then consider uh, where that person's coming from. Well, we would, we would hope that you'd want to be reaching all five types of men. But what we have happening a lot of places is, let's say if we've got some guys in Category 3 that are pretty seasoned and they may even be senior adults. You know, so they don't really want to have the band uh, and stuff like that. They want to keep it more traditional. But you want to reach out into the community. So we've got to convince them. And there's two, two trains of thought. And, again, this is getting into a worship versus a discipleship aspect. But uh, I, I would want to coach my guys, all, all the senior adults I've come across, and said, listen, it's about encountering the presence of God. It's not about which style of music that we prefer. Because we want to be able to reach out. And so, like in Charlotte, the area we're in, we have a lot of guys coming in. You know, they're in the banking industry, you know, coming in across the, the country, moving to Charlotte, being a part of that. They didn't grow up with the southern background, you know, or the southern gospel even in some settings. So nothing against any of those, those venues or those settings. But if we've got guys dropping in that coming in from a different background, we just got to be sensitive to that. So how is that man code? Uh, it would be, it'd be different in each setting.
Yes. We were given an example yesterday, and, and we'll move on after this. Uh, I could sing of your love forever. I feel like that's a very low man code. I also think that's a low God code. I can sing that to my wife, okay? And so uh, that's another aspect as we try to define biblical manhood. You know, again, we're not looking for Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble putting their buffalo hats on. That, that's not what we're trying to conjure up here. But there, there, there is, you know, there is uh, the, the cultural manhood has created a whole new image. You know, we, we've lost that identity. And so we gotta, we got to regain that at a church that would also send men back to love their wives as Christ loved the church. They'll become godly fathers and, and servant leaders in their home. This is where, they get, where, they, where this gets fleshed out. So we've just got to factor all that in as we think about that uh, second foundation. The third temp foundation is a crucial one as well. So let's turn to page 6, and I'm going to invite Clark up here uh, to help me with this as we talk about the cord of three strands. Let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12 together, and then we'll have a chance to talk about these, uh, these various strands. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So let's evaluate all three of those strands. Thanks, Clark. So if you'll flip the page and we'll see the leadership team audit. This is a practical step that we give to leaders around the country. We want to walk you through this today to give you an understanding of how you can go back and begin this process. Uh, you may have a leadership team in place. You may be coming to learn what it looks like to assemble a leadership team. So, again, you may be at various levels of this process. But this gives you a chart that lets you start at the top, you know, so the senior pastor. And I also like to include the pastoral staff. Maybe your church is large, large enough there's a discipleship pastor that's really going to be over the adult discipleship area, maybe men and women. Uh, you may be a small church, and so there's an associate, and he wears a lot of hats, and one of those would be his uh, ministry to men. And then, uh, again, as those are listed at the top, that includes that staff level. Now we talk about the designated leader. Who's that point person who's going to help pull this off? And that's a crucial figure. A lot of churches will have a, a point man, but uh, when that guy gets transferred to Kalamazoo, Michigan, then the uh, ministry to men tends to die out. So we can't build it around one singular leader. There's got to be a team of people. And you see a list here of guys that you would want to have on your team, their strengths and interests in their current involvement. And this is the way I like to promote this uh, as you look at this long term. So to review, those of you that were with us yesterday, there are these five types of men. The, uh, the, the uh, most effective leadership teams that I find have representation for all of the five types. So some of you did not hear about this yesterday. So over here on this uh, wide end of this uh, continuum, as we would describe these five types, is the natural man. He is outside of the faith. His focus is on me. So who is the guy in the congregation that says, hey, guess what? Uh, let's talk to the women's ministry and those five guys whose wives attend our church, but they're spiritually disconnected, they're going to be on my watch. I'll wake up each morning praying for these guys, longing to connect with them. And uh, we know we have to get on their turf oftentimes before they come through our turnstiles. And so uh, I'll, I'll take these uh, five guys in our congregation whose wives attend. Number one, that builds great synergy to the women's ministry, but it also shows that we're all inclusive. 
Now, most churches are filled. 40 to 70% of your churches have that cultural Christian. That's the second type of man. His focus is on me and God. And because of that life focus, you see, he's not prioritized his life quite yet. Oftentimes, the church, however, hasn't been intentional in reaching and discipling where he is. So uh, before we give up on those guys too quickly, let's see how good of a job we've done previously in our efforts. So who wants to reach out? In our experiences, I had cultural Christians who were beginning to take strides to want to grow in their faith. We had them a part of our leadership team to say, who better than you to go and reach out to your fellow man? And there's tons of these guys that you're hanging out with, spending time with. So who on the leadership team is called to reach that particular category of man? The third type of man, as we make the progression, is now the biblical Christian. The life focus of a cultural Christian is me and God. But the life focus of a biblical Christian is God and me. So he's beginning to reprioritize his life. So he is now joining some discipleship venues. He's taking an interest in the things of God. He wants to know more of God and to make him known. A lot of guys on your leadership team are called to reach these fellas. Who's hungry? Who's wanting to show up? Then I'll go reach out with those guys. And so, uh, But if the whole leadership team is reaching only biblical Christians, these guys will be left behind. So if we're going to have no man left behind, all five types have to be represented. Now, you might be in a small church, and you've only got uh, capacity for three leaders, a pastoral staff, and then two lay guys in the church. How are we going to do this for five? Well, initially, let's find out at least the three that the three, uh, each of you are called to, and we'll pray that God would bring in fellows who could assemble uh, to uh, uh, take on these other groups as well. That fourth type of leader, the servant leader, usually the pastoral staff is overseeing them in a smaller congregation. And so uh, that development that takes place with now a God and others lifestyle or a life focus. So who is going to be uh, supervising, overseeing, connecting, uh, watching the progress take place? The fifth type of man comes from any of these other previous four categories, and that's the hurting man. And his life focus is where is God? Some churches have a celebrate recovery for a specific area of addictions, but we're not just limiting it to that. If a man loses his job, he's a hurting man. That affects his identity. If he loses his father, uh, that's going to be a hurting man. Uh, maybe he's about ready to lose his marriage because his at-risk area has overwhelmed him so much and he's blown it and lost trust. That's going to be a hurting man. Uh, he may even lose hope. And so uh, hurting men can be a wide variety of individuals. So who's the guy on the leadership team that says, hey, I'll pray for, I'll connect with, I'll help mentor the hurting man? So that would be a, a, something you could work towards over time is to have representation for all of the five types of men. You don't always have to start there. But one of the biggest problems that I see in traveling the country is I'll have a leadership team of four guys that all lead in-depth Bible studies. And then one guy might be leading Celebrate Recovery. And we wonder why we have 40 to 70% of cultural Christians. Now, if you're leading an in-depth Bible study, you should not leave that calling and go over here to Category 2. I'm not submitting that to you. But let's go find somebody on the team. That, that's my calling is to reach the guys on the wide end because there's such a large percentage of them uh, on a personal level. That's where I'm called to reach. If you're called to lead in-depth Bible studies, continue on. But we need to balance this out. And maybe some of these in-depth Bible study leaders may serve in other capacities in the church. And we bring in some new guys in because we've got that covered down here with the threes and fours. So that would be something to consider across the board. Look at the questions at the bottom of the sheet. And then we're going to toss it out to you guys for some input. Does our leadership team represent the types of men we want to reach? 
Now, I've classified that in a little bit different manner. I've said to have a goal of having somebody overseeing each of the five types. So, in a very similar comparison, what's the makeup of your current leadership team compared to where the guys are in your congregation? This is a leadership team audit. There's a man code audit. And then there's a ministry audit. In fact, let's give those out, Paul, we gave yesterday. Uh, Clark will know where those are on the table back there. If you weren't here yesterday, raise your hand, and we'll give you a copy uh, of that particular sheet because you'll see how it would be in comparison. You want to take a leadership team audit and overlap that with your ministry audit. So as you see these five types of individuals that we've described to you, then how is our leadership team attempting to reach them uh, across the board? And that overlap factor will be crucial for that to take place. Number two, do we have a plan to make disciples? So some churches that are very, uh, you know, just getting started at the beginner stages, let's go back and form a leadership team. Uh, some of you here are as pastors. And so if you want to go back, you know, we, we can talk about what it means to build that leadership team. That will be a crucial aspect. And then let's put a plan together. Let's put a process in place that involves these components. The portal priority of this congregation is going to be discipleship. We do want to have the right kind of environment. By the way, for all four subgroups, if you walk through the uh, children's ministry wing here, which is right above the resource center, you'll find a fantastic environment for children's ministry. Okay, it's, you know, I, I walk into these type churches across America. Man, it's six flags over Jesus for the student ministry. If you haven't been out to the garage, if you've got any student ministry connections, walk out to the uh, outside of the building to their garage for their student ministry. It's fantastic. That obviously is a welcoming environment for students. We want it to be a welcoming environment for women, obviously, and for children. Their children's ministry here is fantastic. Okay, So what does it look like for men is all we're saying. Let's have a balanced approach. Let's don't overlook these guys so they're not being left behind. Thirdly, are we becoming to each other what we want the men of the church to become? We've had some churches, and uh, Clark may share an example from his neck of the woods uh, later on, that, you know, for the first six months, if they're just getting started, they may go back and just form a leadership team. So if you're at the beginner stages, that's what we would say to you. You know, let's don't start too soon with the guys. Continue on what you got going on now, you know. But let's go back and get a leadership team assembled. Let's get them working in harmony. We can give you some ideas about the training aspect to give them a foundational uh, approach so that when you roll something out, you're ready to respond to the guys who then show up and want to participate. Number four, what are the obstacles to this? And I specifically want to hear an obstacle in your church right now to furthering the cause of men's discipleship. And I want to see how that compares around the country. And then number five, what or who else do we want for our leadership team? So you see, there's the leadership team audit, and then we have another chart. I didn't give that handout to you, but there's a leadership recruiting worksheet where we begin to think, okay, here's John. Here's Ralph. Here's Fred. Those are some guys that might right now have no clue that they're, they've got potential for leadership. They're not going to knock on the door and say, hey, listen, I'm here to join the men's leadership team. But you see that potential in them, and you want to go back. And a lot of times, particularly if they're in Category 2, they'll say, who, me? I'm underdeveloped, man. I'm trying to get my life prioritized. You know, it's still, it's still a lot of me and God going on. I'm trying to get to God in me, and I want you to help me get there. So what, what can I do? It is true that a man cannot give away what he hasn't experienced himself. However, as it come to, comes to men's discipleship, if he's one step ahead of the next guy, then he's got one step he can pass along. And who better than himself to be able to do that? Yeah, in all those uh, life focus areas, it does represent prioritization for sure. 
So again, this particular sheet from yesterday's seminar can overlap with the leadership team uh, recruitment and, and over overview. So you can gauge, hey, uh, when you come up with that percentage, are you are you matching the national statistics? For example, are there 40 to 70 percent of your guys that are there? If you don't have a team roster yet, uh, that's something I'm very uh, much a strong proponent of. Go back and get a list of all the guys. Uh, we'll talk about this in the next uh, session as well. The number of men in your congregation, the number of men in your ministry, and what that looks like. But uh, you should always start with a team roster. The book of Psalms says he calls the stars by name. But let's get those guys' names on a list. And uh, not just say, well, we've got about 150 men here. Is it 138? Is it 172? Because you're going to overlook three categories of people. You're going to overlook those husbands who do not attend church, but their wives are there. Those guys should count. Okay? They should be on your radar. Oh, you don't see them. Maybe Christmas and Easter, maybe not even at that time. But if that wife is dedicated, I guarantee you she's having uh, fellow wives to pray for uh, her husband in the women's studies. Well, you want to join forces and have a chance to uh, you know, commit them to prayer. And then we'll talk to the student ministry. How many... Uh, students are here whose dads are spiritually disconnected. And so we want to get those names on the roster. Same thing with the children's ministry. Uh, how many spiritually disconnected dads? Let's find some names of those people. And so that the average church, when I ask them, okay, have you got your roster together? Yeah, coach, 138. Then I'll ask them those three questions. And they typically say, well, we didn't count those three categories. So 138 becomes 178 because there's 40 guys that are off the radar because we don't see them. When you think vision, you see, that's what leadership teams do. As we strategize, we've got to begin to pray at least for those guys in the early stages. So that recruiting worksheet is helpful. Well, let's take this last segment of time, and let's go back now and give you a chance to ask some questions. On Is your church having an organizing principle uh, of discipleship that everything uh, will be coordinated by? What does the environment look like on your campus? Again, for all four subgroups, but specifically for men. And... What is things? Uh, how are things looking for your leadership team, and uh, maybe some next steps that you have across the board? So let's get some feedback from your neck of the woods, uh, clarification on what we talked about today, or specifically some next steps. Now you'd ask a question before uh, we started this morning. I said save that for the group. So let's let's ask that now. So we hear that question asked often, and so you gave a couple of examples. He's coaching his, his kids in soccer on Saturday, or he's, he's going to the games and and participating at some level. So I would want to leverage that. So I'm going to talk to this guy and say, hey, you know, I, I, I admire the fact that you're being a committed dad. You know, he's not just showing up, getting on his iPhone, and just kind of hitting the time clock, you know, but he has no clue who won the game. But he's, he's a committed father. He's devoted. If he's going to participate in coaching, maybe he's at practices. So my first thought is, how can we leverage this role that he has? Because who is he connected with? He's got other dads from the community coming. And they're not on his radar yet because he's not fully developed. But I'm going to go pitch that vision to him and to say, uh, give, give me the first name of one of these guys in your church. I'll use him as an example. Uh, All right, so George, man, listen. You know, uh, I'd like to drop in on one of the soccer games. Can you give me a schedule? And, you know, I, I can't make them all, but I'd like to come see your kid play. I'm investing in him as a leader. And uh, But I'd just like to get a feel for, you know, what it looks like as far as the uh, – by the way, there are no more Sundays in Charlotte. There are two Saturdays. And youth sports on them, and I bet it's where you are as well. But, George, we want to be able to take some of these things we talk about on Sundays to the community. And so we believe if you're positioned right there, and we talk about sending missionaries to a foreign field, you're the missionary to the local uh, youth league sports. 
Now, he hasn't even thought about that yet. He's just trying to be a dedicated father. But we can help him understand and grasp that. So, in other words, the time he is investing, we got to get him to think beyond just coaching soccer, but to say, hey, when we have that men's summit, when we have that, you know, uh, auto fair or whatever, we'd like to see some of your dads participate in that. So, guess what? The men's group, we're going to host a, a barbecue. We're going to bring the Gatorade next Saturday. These youth league sports, they're always asking for the parents, you know, hey, it's my turn this week to go take, you know, the big, huge cooler of all the Gatorade for the kids. Well, guess what? We're going to take one of those Saturdays. Now, you can't do it every week. You'd be overcommitted. But you see how that works together? I'm, I'm having a chance to invest in where he already is and to let him see that. You know what's going to happen when the youth league uh, season ends? He's going to show up in your men's group. Because you came and reached out to him, and you leveraged what was out there. And maybe just one of those dads begins to think, man, that was fantastic. Who, who are those guys? You work with those guys? Where are they from? Well, we hang out at church together. And so that's going to create a totally different approach to somebody who's outside of faith for you to go be a servant leader and bring the Gatorade to the uh, Youth Sports League on Saturday. And to show up for at least one game. It may not be you as the pastor, but somebody from the leadership team, they go out there, they got some connection, maybe the guy that's been trying to recruit George to come to one of your discipleship venues. So get on a man's turf that's over here. Then he'll walk through your turnstiles. That's the biggest lesson I've learned in dealing with these guys over the years. Okay? Other questions or comments on either of the three aspects. Discipleship as the portal priority, the environment, your man code, and or uh, the leadership team. How many of you have a functioning leadership team? Let's just ask you that question directly. A functioning leadership team. Okay, that's okay. That's the norm. Way to be honest about that. So we're all at the developmental stages. So let's break that down a little bit. That particular sheet, maybe you as a leader need to fill that out. Here are some guys I would like to target. Now, one of the issues is going to be, boy, I know the first three I'd love to have on the leadership team, but they're wide open doing everything else. So I don't want to go tap into those guys. And in a subsequent seminar that we'll be talking about today, the all-inclusive, I don't need to bring them in from a co-ed environment. I don't need to bring them in from some other capacity. We want to leverage what's going on, okay? including one of those guys who may also, maybe you got a, a Category 3 guy who's also coaching in youth league soccer. Hey, this is going to be our mission field because we got George over here we're trying to reach, man. And he feels like that, you know, we recognize times of modern-day currency, so he can't come to us. We're going to go to him. And so for this particular season, I want you to, you know, you don't need to lead your study this fall. I want you to kind of coach these coaches and what this looks like and to coordinate that. And maybe he's the guy that helps to volunteer to make sure the Gatorade is covered or whatever. So it's not on your watch. But you've got to think in those particular terms. But I would say in your worksheet, as you see listed there, what are their strengths and what are their interests? Now, we typically uh, do this in our seminars. We did it yesterday. Some of you are here, some of you are not. And so let's, uh, let's go around the room, and I'll kind of demonstrate this to you. Give me a hobby or an interest, and I'll show you how we connect the dots. Leadership. Okay, but beyond that, what, what is a hobby or interest beyond that? Give me something out there in the real world. Golf, fishing, hunting. There's got to be something you like to do. Reading. Reading. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> okay, cars. Right, here's my TV guy. You said fishing yesterday, I believe? Uh, I said guns yesterday, but I really like to say my grandchildren. But yeah, yeah, guns, okay. Exercise. Right? Racquetball. Racquetball, that's a good one. Bingo. Computer. Okay. Still leather works. Still leather works, okay. Sports. Okay, any specific type of sport? Soccer. 
Okay? Any woodworkers in the room? Here's a master craftsman, craftsman back here. When you go down to his, his basement, and he also loves MGs. And so if you like classic cars, here's a connection right there. Uh, video games. Video games. Bingo. Okay? Camping. So let's just say we took that little, uh, you know, informal survey amongst the guys. And uh, we had two or three connections. We didn't have a lot of connections, but the larger group you work with. So basically, we want to get, uh, what's your name as far as in, enjoying hiking or camping? Aaron. Okay, so let's say we've got a men's camping trip coming on. Let's say Aaron happens to be coming into our church, and he's over here in stage two. Do we know if he's going to sign up for the men's camping trip or not? He, he's new to the congregation. So what I would pitch to him in a role-playing exercise is say, hey, Aaron, we would love to have you on the uh, leadership group that's planning the camping trip. Would you love to come and assist with this? The average guy would jump all over that because you're in his wheelhouse. You haven't asked him to come to a study on Ecclesiastes. You've asked him to go out and say, hey, can you help us recruit guys? Can you go? Here, here's where we've gone camping before. Hey, you're new to the area. Maybe you know of a better campsite that would work real well for our guys. And in our particular setting, we had an all-men's camp out uh, one, once a year. And then we had a father-son camp out the other times. Some of the guys said, hey, I enjoy the father-son times, but I also want to drill down on some at-risk updates around the campfire, and I can't do that with young boys there. So there's a time to be honest and vulnerable at certain stages of life, but there's time just to have guys around the campfire. But if we recruited him to come into the leadership team based upon his interest level, bingo. Or maybe I've got some guys uh, in the church, again, from your background uh, or your hobby or interest. We might recruit you to be a part of that because we've got eight or nine guys we have not reached yet that enjoy your hobby or interest. And you could come into the leadership level and help build a cluster around you. And you could go on a hiking trip and then uh, see the amazing creation of God. And boom, discipleship can break out. It's a starting point. It's an entry point uh, for churches to have. Other questions or comments about these three foundations? That's been a big hit at churches to have demonstrations of activities like that, of guys who, uh, you know, would like to learn more. You know, maybe that wasn't in their background as far as getting a, a skill set to uh, take place. So to bring guys in, you know, Home Depot, where I come from, you can drop in on Saturday and have these little workshops or whatever. How come we as a church can't gather and have breakfast and then go do that session? You know, or one of our guys come and do it. Clark's got an illustration. Sure. These guys will give God their hands first, by the way. We have a session in the No Middle Left Behind training called Head, Heart, Hands. And so as a guy makes progression as his faith, you know, obviously he's opening up his heart more for heart transformation. He's gaining more intellectual knowledge. You're talking about you want to read up on leadership, so you're there too. Okay, you're giving God your head. But these fellows will give God their hands first. And uh, I just get frustrated by these guys. One of the most important lessons Man in the Mirror ever taught to me was... Uh, we would take international mission trips in the summertime. I've been to seven countries and done men's conferences. Well, we take guys with us. They might do some hands-on stuff. But when Katrina broke out, I went down to serve as a chaplain and uh, just kind of did a scouting report, tried to find a church we could adopt. It was going to be a long-term process. And so uh, we adopted this church. And so I thought, let's see how many guys might want to participate. Well, 14 of the 17 on trip one had never been on a mission trip before. The biggest lesson I learned is I need to give these guys, you know, something on the lower shelf before they'd go international. And when we went down there, I just got blown away because they said, well, the drive time interaction was as valuable as what we did for the folks in Mississippi. 
because we would take multiple vans. And uh, the first trip, we took three vans. So I was the driver of one. Let's say Clark and Paul were the other two drivers. So it's 675 miles uh, from our church in Charlotte to the, uh, the church we were adopting in South Mississippi. So we split the trip up into 225-mile segments. So Clark's riders came to me at their, after the first segment. Paul's riders went with Clark. We just rotated around. Then for that last segment, we had a cross-pollination. So you were riding with different people. And we had conversation starters. You know, you, you wives, man, y'all can get some conversations going real quickly. For guys, they kind of laid back. What's your favorite classic car? Uh, what's on your bucket list? Uh, you know, uh, uh, what's your favorite adventure movie? Uh, so on and so forth. There were five or six conversation starters. And then, boom, things began to click. Oh, I didn't know you enjoyed that. Or I didn't know you'd been to the Grand Canyon. And they began to spin off. Then once we got there, we would have campfire gatherings at night. And guys would share you know, God's stories about what happened in the daytime. There'd be some good trash talking from the, the blue-collar guys to the white-collar. Charlotte's a big banking industry. So some of these guys that struggled with the shovel and the wheelbarrow, you know, the blue-collar guys can let them have it or roofing a house. And so that was fun to see that kind of camaraderie. But then we'd talk about what the locals experienced and how that kind of blew us out of the water. Of those 14 guys, 11 of them were driving back unannounced, unexpected. And in my van going back to Charlotte, they said, Coach, where are we going next summer internationally as a church? I'm ready to go now. And I had a men and skin bracer moment, the old classic commercial thanks. I needed that. That these guys needed to come down, sleep on an army cot. They had to drink bottled water. They couldn't flush the toilet paper. That rattled their cages just enough, but to still be on American soil, to now go what I think is an ultimate destination for a believer. If you're physically able, uh, I would challenge you to take an uh, overseas mission trip. Because then you begin to see the heart of God. When you uh, uh, hear a different uh, language and uh, you smell different smells and you hear uh, and see different things, it just brings you back and realizes there's a great big world out there that God wants us to reach. And maybe I can play a little small part of that. Well, those 11 guys who had such a fantastic experience from Category 2 not only signed up for international mission trips, they joined the leadership efforts and they helped explode our ministry to men. We were seeing some good things happen, but that Gulf Coast trip. So they asked me, they said, Coach, can we go back? I said, I'll continue to go back as long as you recruit some people from your category who've never been before. We'll, we'll, make, a, we'll make an effort to go back. I never planned to go more than one time. We went back 16 times, 252 people from 10 states. They begin to connect with friends and family around the country. Hey, man, you've you got to come down here and help us with these uh, Katrina relief efforts. So over a multi-year period and multi-trips, what, what that did was just revolution. It just threw gasoline on the fire. And the principle that Man in the Mirror taught me was this. Don't get frustrated with those guys. It takes a long time to make a disciple. You keep pouring gas on those guys that God is drawing to the fire. And so when we took them down there and more guys began to be drawn to the fire, God was igniting the flame, but let's teach them how to rekindle the flame, which is how I define discipleship. And then also, these other fellows will watch the fire burn. And as one of the speakers said yesterday, you don't need to go educate people about that. They'll be drawn themselves. And so I saw it lived out myself in the lives of men. So these are the foundations as you strive to go forward. And uh, it sounds like to me some leadership team development is a, is a next step for you guys. And again, if we can help you in any capacity beyond today, that's what we're here for. You know, Clark's up in Dayton, Ohio, but we, we can jump on a video call 
and uh, meet with your leadership team, give you some principles. There's lots of leadership webinars on our website, maninthemirror.org, and go to the leadership webinar link, and you can watch some 20 to 30-minute segments of time, and that could be helpful to you. But it's been exciting to have you a part of our, our session today, and some of you will stay with us for the next two sessions and finish out the track. Others of you will tap into other uh, good uh, speakers that will be here, but we're glad to have crossed your path. Clark? Yeah, uh, we'll get into that more in detail as we move along. So basically, as uh, some of you heard yesterday, the uh, representation is out there to serve pastors, train leaders, and see God transform the lives of men. So not just coming here for one shot and say, go back and figure it out. But that's why I'm trying to chronicle these states right here to see we've got guys in uh, in uh, 35 states that could be accessible if you so desire to tap into what we provide. So, again, let, let us know of your information. I don't want to sell you anything, but if this uh, strikes a chord with you, that could be a good next step to uh, take advantage of that resource for sure. Yeah, he works up in the Midwest, so uh, feel free to uh, take advantage of that as well. Well, listen, let's stand and close in prayer. And, uh, again, great to have you here today. Father, we commit these leaders who are here looking to uh, found out the three foundations that we've talked about, uh, discipleship must be the portal priority. Uh, we need to have a, a welcoming environment that represents the man code. And then certainly we want to develop our leadership team, all three aspects. Thank you for pastors that believe in this. There are several here with us today. And I pray they can go back and uh, surround themselves uh, with a team that can help carry this to the next level. And then, Lord, for a key leader who, wake ups, who wakes up in the morning uh, on mission, to see no man left behind, and then a team of guys that can come around, even aspiring leaders, to give them an opportunity uh, to just take uh, right next steps. Uh, as we continue on with uh, two other sessions and do some more drill downs with this no man left behind model, we look forward to talking further about men's discipleship and the calling you have. We commit each of these individuals here today to your kingdom work. Thank you for them being called out of darkness into your marvelous light. And also, Father, uh, looking to advance your kingdom, specifically as it relates to men. And uh, we're excited about what you have for the future. Uh, give us your heart and your mind. And for all these uh, dear friends in the kingdom today, I pray for three things upon their life. A rock to stand on, a brook to drink from, and a tree to be shaded by. In your son's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.